Section 10 of Beacon Lights of History, Volume 10, European Leaders, by John Lord. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by K. Hand. Tsar Nicholas, Part 3. It was the opinion of Tottlebin himself, afterward expressed, which was that of Lord Raglan, and also of Sir Edmund Lyons, commanding the fleet, that the star fort which defended Sebastopol on the north, however strong, was indefensible before the forces that the allies could have brought to bear against it had the fort been taken the whole harbor of sebastopol would have been open to the fire of the allies and the city needed for refuge as well as for glory would have fallen into their hands the condition of the allied armies was now critical since they had no accurate knowledge of the country over which they were to march on the east of sebastopol nor of the strength of the enemy who controlled the seashore on the morning of the 25th of September, the flank march began, through tangled forests, by the aid of the compass. It was a laborious task for the troops, especially since they had not regained their health from the ravages of the cholera in Bulgaria. Two days' march, however, brought the English army to the little port of Baklava, on the south of Sebastopol, where the land and sea forces met soon after the allied armies had arrived at baklava st arnaud was obliged by his fatal illness to yield up his command to marshal can robert and a few days later he died an unprincipled but a brave and able man the russian forces meanwhile after the battle of the alma had retreated to sebastopol in order to defend the city which the allies were preparing to attack prince menshnikov then resolved upon a bold measure for the defense of the city and this was to sink his ships at the mouth of the harbor by which he prevented the english and french fleets from entering it and gained an additional force of eighteen thousand seamen to his army loath was the russian admiral to make this sacrifice and he expostulated with the general-in-chief but was obliged to obey this sinking of their fleet by the russians reminds one of the conflagration of moscow both desperate and sacrificial acts the French and English forces were now on the south side of Sebastopol, in communication with their feet at Balaclava, and were flushed with victory, while the forces opposed to them were probably inferior in number. Why did not the Allies at once begin the assault of the city? It was thought to be prudent to wait for the arrival of their siege guns. While these heavy guns were being brought from the ships, Tottleben, the ablest engineer then living, was strengthening the defenses on the south side every day's delay added to the difficulties of attack three weeks of precious time were thus lost and when on the seventeenth of october the allies began the bombardment of sebastopol which was to precede the attack their artillery was overpowered by that of the defenders the fleets in vain thundered against the solid sea front of the fortress after a terrible bombardment of eight days the defenses of the city were unbroken Menshikov, meanwhile, had received large reinforcements and prepared to attack the Allies from the east. His point of attack was Balaclava, the defense of which had been entrusted to Sir Colin Campbell. The battle was undecisive, but made memorable by the sacrifice of the Light Brigade, about six hundred cavalry troops under the command of the Earl of Cardigan. This arose from a misunderstanding on the part of the Earl of Lucan, commander of the cavalry division of an order from lord raglan to attack the enemy lord cardigan was then directed by lucan to rescue certain guns which the enemy had captured he obeyed in the face of batteries in front and on both flanks 
the slaughter was terrible in fact the brigade was nearly annihilated the news of this disaster made a deep impression on the english nation and caused grave apprehensions as to the capacity of the cavalry commanders neither of whom had seen much military service although both were over fifty years of age and men of ability and bravery the heavy brigade of cavalry commanded by general scarlett who also was more than fifty years old and had never seen service in the field almost redeemed the error by which that commanded by lord cardigan was so nearly destroyed with six hundred men he charged up a long slope and plunged fearlessly into a body of three thousand russian cavalry separated it into segments disorganized it and drove it back one of the most brilliant cavalry operations in modern times the battle of balaclava on the twenty-fifth of october was followed november fifth by the battle of ingerman when the english were unexpectedly assaulted under cover of a deep mist by an overwhelming body of russians the britons bravely stood their ground against the massive columns which menshnikov had sent to crush them and repelled the enemy with immense slaughter but this battle made the capture of sebastopol as planned by the allies impossible the forces of the russians were double in number to those of the allies and held possession of a fortress against which a tremendous cannonade had been in vain the prompt sagacity and tremendous energy of Tottleben repaired every breach as fast as it was made and by his concentration of great numbers of laborers at the needed points huge earthworks arose like magic before the astonished allies they made no headway their efforts were in vain the enterprise had failed it became necessary to evacuate the crimea or undertake a slow winter siege in the presence of superior forces amid difficulties which had not been anticipated and for which no adequate provision had been made the allies chose the latter alternative and then began a series of calamities and sufferings unparalleled in the history of war since the retreat of napoleon from moscow first came a terrible storm on the fourteenth of november which swept away the tents of the soldiers encamped on a plateau near balaclava and destroyed twenty-one vessels bringing ammunition and stores to the hungry and discouraged army there was a want of everything to meet the hardships of a winter campaign on the stormy shores of the black sea suitable clothing fuel provisions medicines and camp equipage it never occurred to the minds of those who ordered and directed this disastrous expedition that sebastopol would make so stubborn a defense but the whole force of the russian empire which could be spared was put forth by the emperor nicholas thus rendering necessary continual reinforcements from france and england to meet armies superior in numbers and to supply the losses occasioned by disease and hardship greater than those on the battlefield the horrors of that dreadful winter on the crimean peninsula which stared in the face not only the french and english armies but also the russians themselves a thousand miles from their homes have never been fully told they form one of the most sickening chapters in the annals of war not the least of the misfortunes which the allies suffered was the loss of the causeway or main road from balaclava to the high grounds where they were encamped it had been taken by the russians three weeks before and never regained the only communication from the camp to balaclava from which the stores and ammunitions had to be brought was a hillside track soon rendered almost impassable by the rains the wagons could not be dragged through the mud which reached to their axles and the supplies had to be carried on the backs of mules and horses of which there was an insufficient number even the horses rapidly perished from fatigue and hunger 
thus were the french and english troops pent up on a bleak promontory sick and disheartened with uncooked provisions in the middle of winter of course they melted away even in the hospitals to which they were sent on the levant in those hospitals there was a terrible mortality at scutari alone nine thousand perished before the end of february eighteen fifty five the reports of these disasters so unexpected and humiliating soon reached england through the war correspondence and private letters and produced great exasperation the press was unsparing in its denunciations of the generals and of the ministry itself in not providing against the contingencies of the war which had pent up two large armies on a narrow peninsula from which retreat was almost impossible in view of the superior forces of the enemy and the dreadful state of the roads the armies of the allies had nothing to do but fight the elements of nature endure their unparalleled hardships the best way they could and patiently await results the troops of both the allied nations fought bravely and behaved gallantly but they fought against nature against disease against forces vastly superior to themselves in number one is reminded in reading the history of the crimean war of the ancient crusaders rather than of modern armies with their vast scientific machinery so numerous were the mistakes and so unexpected were the difficulties of the attacking armies one is amazed that such powerful and enlightened nations as the english and french could have made so many blunders the warning voices of aberdeen of gladstone of cobden of bright against the war had been in vain amid the tumult of military preparations but it was seen at last that they had been the true prophets of their day nothing excited more commiseration than the dreadful state of the hospitals in the levant to which the sick and wounded were sent and this terrible exigency brought women to the rescue their volunteered services were accepted by mr sidney herbert the secretary at war and through him by the state on the fourth of november florence nightingale called the lady-in-chief disembarked at scutari and began her useful and benevolent mission organizing the nurses and doing work for which men were incapable in those hospitals infected with deadly poisons the calamities of a questionable war made known by the press at last roused public indignation and so great was the popular clamor that lord aberdeen was compelled to resign a post for which he was plainly incapable at least in war times he was succeeded by lord palmerston the only man who had the confidence of the nation in the new ministry lord panmure fox mall succeeded the duke of newcastle as minister of war after midwinter the allied armies began to recover their health and strength through careful nursing better sanitary measures and constant reinforcements especially from france at last a railway was made between balaclava and the camps and a land transport corps was organized by March 1855, cattle in large quantities were brought from Spain on the west and America on the east, from Wallachia on the north, and the Persian Gulf on the south. 17,000 men now provided the Allied armies with provisions and other supplies, with the aid of 30,000 beasts of burden. It was then that Sardinia joined the Western Alliance with 15,000 men, an act of supreme wisdom on the part of cavour since it secured the friendship of france in his scheme for the unity of italy a new plan of operations was now adopted by the allies which was for the french to attack sebastopol at the malakoff protecting the city on the east while the english concentrated their efforts on the redan another salient point of the fortifications in the meantime canrobet was succeeded in the command of the french army 
by Pelissier, a resolute soldier who did not owe his promotion to complicity in the coup d'etat. On the 18th of June, a general assault was made by the combined armies, now largely reinforced, on the Redan and the Malakoff, but they were driven back by the Russians with great loss, and three months more were added to the siege. Fatigue, anxiety, and chagrin now carried off Lord Raglan, who died on the 28th of June, leaving the command to General Simpson. By incessant labors, the lines of the besiegers were gradually brought nearer the Russian fortifications. On the 16th of August, the French and Sardinians gained a decisive victory over the Russians, which prevented Sebastopol from receiving further assistance from without. On September 9th, the French succeeded in storming the Malakoff, which remained in their hands, although the English were unsuccessful in their attack upon the Redan. On the fall of the Malakoff, the Russian commander blew up his magazines, while the French and English demolished the great docks of solid masonry, the forts, and defenses of the place. Thus, Sebastopol, after a siege of 350 days, became the prize of the invaders, at a loss, on their part, of a 100,000 men, and a still greater loss on the part of the defenders, since provisions, stores, and guns had to be transported at immense expense from the interior of Russia. In Russia there was no free press to tell the people of the fearful sacrifices to which they had been doomed, but the Tsar knew the greatness of his losses, both in men and military stores, and these calamities broke his heart, for he died before the fall of the fortress which he had resolved to defend with all the forces of his empire. Probably 300,000 Russians had perished in the conflict, and the resources of Russia were exhausted. France had now become weary of a war which brought so little glory and entailed such vast expense. England, however, would have continued the war at any expense and sacrifice if Louis-Napoleon had not secretly negotiated with the new Tsar, Alexander II, for England was bent on such a crippling of Russia as would henceforth prevent that colossal power from interfering with the English possessions in the East, which the fall of cars seemed to threaten. The Tsar, too, would have held out longer but for the expostulation of Austria and the advice of his ministers, who pointed out his inability to continue the contest with the hostility of all Europe. On the 25th of February, 1856, the plenipotentiaries of the great powers assembled in Paris, and on the 30th of March the Treaty of Paris was signed, by which the Black Sea was thrown open to the mercantile marine of all nations, but interdicted to ships of war. Russia ceded a portion of Bessarabia, which excluded her from the Danube, and all the powers guaranteed the independence of the Ottoman Empire. At the end of fourteen years, the downfall of Louis-Napoleon enabled Russia to declare it would no longer recognize the provisions of a treaty which excluded its warships from the Black Sea. England alone was not able to resist the demands of Russia, and in consequence, Sebastopol arose from its ruins as powerful as ever. The object, therefore, for which England and France went to war, the destruction of Russian power on the Black Sea, was only temporarily gained. From three to four hundred thousand men had been sacrificed among the different combatants, and probably not less than a thousand million dollars in treasure had been wasted, perhaps double that sum. France gained nothing of value, while England lost military prestige. Russia undoubtedly was weakened, and her encroachments toward the east were delayed, but today that warlike empire is in the same relative position that it was when the Tsar sent forth his mandate for the invasion of the Danubian principalities. 
in fact all parties were the losers and none were the gainers by this needless and wicked war except perhaps the wily napoleon the third who was now firmly seated on his throne the eastern question still remains unsettled and will remain unsettled until new complications which no genius can predict shall re-enkindle the martial passions of europe these are not and never will be extinguished until christian civilization shall beat swords into plowshares when shall be this consummation of the victories of peace authorities a w king lake's invasion of the crimea c de bazancourt crimean expedition g b mcclellan's report on the art of war in europe in eighteen fifty five to eighteen fifty six r c mccormick's visit to the camp before sebastopol j d morell's neighbors of russia and history of the war to the siege of sebastopol pictorial history of the russian war russell's british expedition to the crimea general totalben's history of the defense of sebastopol h tyrell's history of the war with russia fife's history of modern europe life of lord palmerston life of louis napoleon end of section ten